to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Preck, and today our guest is John Rubino. John is the COO, founder, and co-managing partner of JID Investments, a real estate investing, private money, and equity investment firm. John's primary responsibilities include executing the daily operations, which include marketing and advertisement, website and social media design, investor and client relations, and due diligence. He's also a graduate of New York Maritime College and holds a third mate's license in the U.S. Merchant Marine. So really excited to have you on the show today, John. How are you doing? Thanks, Eileen. It's great to be here. I was excited for this today and I'm looking forward to talking with you and your listeners and having some fun. Thank you so much. And thank you for your service. Thank you so much. It was an honor to serve. I enjoyed it so much. That was my first dream job, but now I'm in my second dream job. So life is good. (laughs) Was it hard to transition from the army or the military and then into real estate? Yeah. So I was in the Navy. So no offense. No, it's okay. No, you know, I started the business back in 2013 with about three, four years left to go on my kind of Navy career. So one of the things that, you know, anyone that's going to get into entrepreneurship, especially from the military or from corporate America, that's going to transition from W2 to do this full time. You know, I'm, I'm a big student of Robert Kiyosaki. Robert always says, you know, make sure you you got everything you have ready to go and you're comfortable and you and you feel like you can do it. But don't get rid of that W2 paying job until you're, you know, fully ready to commit. So I'm glad I did it, you know, four years out, three years out from retirement because it really made the transition a lot easier. It was definitely a little bit apprehensive taking that step forward. But uh, when I did and decided to do it full time, it made all the sense in the world and doing it part time, you know, it got my feet wet. I took my bumps and bruises. Not that I'm not taking my bumps and bruises now, but it gave me that confidence really to go and do this full time. So yeah, it's exciting and I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. So how did you get started in real estate? Yeah. So back in 2005 timeframe, I had about 10 years in the Navy and I uh, was stationed in Southern Maryland and uh, was at the base there as a pilot and uh, had some time, free time. I was getting my master's, but I had a little extra time. So a good friend of mine who's in real estate and getting into real estate more and more kind of talked to me a little bit about it and he kind of got me hooked. So we learned about it together, about foreclosures and probates and, you know, going to the courthouse and looking at properties and just talking with sellers and looked at doing it from the active side first. And then we found our niche in new construction home builds. We had a a new construction home builder in the area. They were opening up a new subdivision and they were welcoming investors who were interested. So my friend of the time, who's now my business associate, and I decided to do a few of those projects in there and properties. So we had the builder buy the the lot and do the construction of the property. And then you do what's called a construction to permanent loan, where you then become the owner and pay the mortgage and maybe live in the property. About two weeks before uh, I purchased the home or took ownership from the builder, I turned around and sold the property for $70,000 profit the first time. So I was like, wow, I like this. (laughs) Let's do it again. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. So I did that for a few more times. And then uh, that gentleman I mentioned to you and I kind of went in our separate directions. He decided to 
become a, a $400 million development company. And I decided to take my family and go overseas to Naples, Italy to do a three-year tour with the Navy. But what I did was I took a good chunk of that money I made and I worked with him to say, hey, what, what could you do? You helped me make a lot of this money. And he offered me a 10% fixed rate return over a seven-year period of time. And every year I was getting 10% on about $200,000 every year. And it was wonderful. I mean, I was getting great returns. And the best part is I was getting all the project information, all the performance, all the data. And I was able to get my arms around really understanding the, um, the analytical side of, of real estate, how to analyze deals, how to look at the numbers, how to you know work everything as, as I was presented to it. I'd ask some questions. He'd get me feedback. So I'd build my knowledge. So when I got back to DC in 2013, I'd done two and a half year tour as an instructor pilot down in Texas. I decided that I wanted to pursue my own business. And the model was really what I had done seven years prior, which was I wanted to raise money through a network of public and private accredited investors, really close-knit, sophisticated family and friend investors. And together with my money, partnering with them and pool that money together on a project basis for sponsors and developers that are actually out there buying property, doing the development, doing the construction, overseeing operations, and being the active component where I'm a passive part of the project, where I'm bringing in that general equity or private money. So that's where we were. Fast forward from 2013 to 2021, and we're, you know, we've completed 17 projects. We have nine that are executing right now. We've invested about six and a half million dollars on our completed projects with uh, about two and a quarter million in revenue. And we're currently investing around 22 to 25 million on nine projects. And we're a growing business. We just hired our first employee about two weeks ago, uh, a Army veteran. And uh, we also just brought on Juniper Square. So now Juniper is going to be our investment portal. So, you know, as you grow vertically, you're also growing horizontally so that the company has a good foundation. Wow, that's a really great story. Thank you for sharing, John. You're welcome. Thanks for hearing. <laughs> and so, you know, while you were in Italy, you were investing passively into this deal. Was there any hesitation with investing being so far away from the actual property itself? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, you know, it kind of helped me understand how to to look at sponsors and be objective, right? I mean, here's a guy that I knew while we were good friends, we served together, but I, I still had to be objective when I looked at these deals. I had to make sure I did my homework. I had to make sure because, you know, that's my money. I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose it. So yes, there was a level of trust that I had to have with the sponsor, which is one of the foundations right now when we're working with new sponsors is, hey, you know, is this someone we can trust based on their proof of concept, their record, their performance, how they've done on good deals, how, how they reacted to bad deals? So these are the things I do now when I look at a company. So yeah, um, I typically like to stay in my backyard, whether it's Washington, D.C., where I live nearby, or it's maybe as far south as Florida, and maybe as far west as maybe Atlanta, or not Atlanta, Nashville, Tennessee area. But that's kind of my backyard. My business partner's down in Hilton Head, South Carolina. So he kind of covers the Southeast region and I'm up here kind of mid-Atlantic region and um, it helps. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that you got to get comfortable with if you're going to be an out-of-area investor is making sure that you got a good partner, that you know all the details and maybe even have boots on the ground. You may want to hire somebody or you want to try to find somebody you know that can help you if it's an out-of-area market uh, type investment. 
And so when you are getting the information back from the different sponsors, you know, what were kind of some of the different metrics that you're looking for in order to evaluate whether or not, you know, the property or the opportunity was going well, was doing well, or if it was, you know, there was some concerns and you might want to contact the sponsor. Yeah. So the first thing we do, and this is part of our process now, is we get to know the sponsor up front, right? We want to get to know them, their company, their business, who they are, see who they are across the table, talk to them, visit properties, get to know them really well. We're going to be starting a a relationship together, right? Like a marriage. And we want to make sure that it gets off to a very, very strong and solid start. So that could take anywhere from two weeks to, to five months, whatever we're comfortable with to get to the point where we tell that sponsor, hey, we really like you. You know us. We're a good fit for you. You see the value we bring to you and you kind of are a good fit for us. You know, you kind of hit the parameters we're looking for on returns and risk and structuring of the legal documents and the operating agreements and the waterfalls. You know, you do all that up front because the worst thing in the world you want to do is start looking at a deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, I don't know, two, three weeks into the deal and you find out, oh, I guess this guy or this business doesn't hit the parameters we're looking for on returns or, oh, they want capital calls and those are mandatory. We don't want that. So those are all the things you want to get out of front. And then once we get them approved and once we approve them for funding and we start looking at deals, you know, that's when we start putting on our, you know, our helmet to look at everything holistically and then digging into the numbers. So some of the metrics I look at, you know, abstractly is again, the sponsor, their performance, the location is huge. Where are we located? Is it in a market that's got uh, strengths that we typically look for? Good job market, you know, high employment, you know, high income earners in a good area, safe from crime and good schools. It's the typical stuff you would look at when you look at a deal. And then I'm digging into the numbers. I'm digging into the cost. I'm digging into fees. I'm digging into stress tests, you know, looking at exit options. If we go exit A, exit B, exit C, what happens? And, and of course, you know, I'm looking at what the returns look like and what the risk is. And then what happens if we extend six months to the right or 12 months to the right, what then happens to my investors and their returns. So those are all the different things I'm looking at, all the different variables. And I have everything captured, you know, very, very organized, being in the military checklist, going through and making sure everything is uh, is met. And then when we bring our deals to our investors, we have 176 investors in the company, including my partner and I. So when we go out to our passive investors and bring them a deal, we want to make sure we do our best to put it on a silver platter, make sure that they see everything, they have an idea of what it looks like, and they have the opportunity to ask us questions. So um, that's typically how we set it up. And so as you're making that transition from, you know, investing yourself passively to bring the deals now to other investors and, you know, offering different opportunities for them to participate in, you know, what did that transition kind of look like for you? Well, you know, when if you're meaning like being active versus passive, mm-hmm. is that yeah. So I mean when you're active, man, it's like you're the you're taking the ship from the front to the end. You know, you're taking it all the way through the cycle from the time you buy the land all the way to the time you get it built and potentially stabilized or exits. You know, most of the deals we do are development, new construction all the way to you got a finished product and it's either going to be sold or it's going to be held as a refinanced opportunity. So some people come in in different kind of phases of that. Some people may want to come in at the construction phase because they don't want to take on the risk of the front end stuff, entitlements, development, design, permitting, pre-construction. They'd rather be in when there's a little bit more, you know, less risk. Or they may want to come in and be a conservative core, core plus value add investor that's making eight to 10% a year of their money in a stabilized asset. They have a, a property that's there. It's it's income producing. 
So it really just depends on your comfort level. But from an active to, to passive, I mean, passive, really, you're just, you know, you're just kind of saying, all right, I have this capital. I want to invest it in a good investment opportunity. And for me, for my business, our, our deal is to make sure that everything lines up. So I have to think like the sponsor. I have to think like I'm an active component, but I don't take on a lot of their risk. I don't take on recourse for debt. I don't take on a lot of the risks they take on, which you know we're just not at that point as a business, nor do we want to be taking on those risks of an active sponsor. So as you're getting new investors in, what are some of the common concerns that they have before investing in in an opportunity? Yeah, it's a great question. So, and we've been talking a lot about the sponsor side, but on the other coin, other side of the coin, you know, you got the investment side, right? So we want to work with accredited investors, folks that are professionals who are dentists or attorneys or doctors or, you know, own a business that just don't have the time to spend like I do every day by looking for new sponsors to work with deals to potentially invest in. So they're relying a lot on me. Um, But one of the things we do that's pretty unique is uh, we don't go out looking for new investors when we have a project. Uh, Ideally, we are going to have the investors already on board. We already want to have the investors in our group so that when I do have an opportunity, they've already gone through the process of getting to know me and getting to know my business. So just like I do it with the sponsors, where I spend that time getting to know them and their business, I want the investors to do the same for me. I want them to go through and put me on the hot seat and ask me a gajillion questions about everything before they decide to become an investor. When we get to that point where they feel good about us, they've gone through everything, they feel comfortable, they typically fill out what's called an accredited investor questionnaire. It's a document that just asks us for basic information. And it's just really an embedded non-disclosure agreement that they're not going to share proprietary information outside the business. But they don't have an obligation or requirement to invest in any of our projects if they sign up to become an investor. And there's no fees or there's nothing to join the club, right? I mean, they are now one of our investors and they get put on our distribution CRM. So then when we have a new deal or we're announcing something that's for investors only, they're the ones that see it. They're the ones that get it. They're the ones that get to decide whether or not, yes, I do want to invest or no, I don't want to invest. So that's typically how we do it. And, and our investors like that. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. I'm not going to them when I have a deal and I'm trying to hurry them through to get them on board to invest on a project. We have a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 minimum level of investment, which is fairly and very nicely positioned for an easy entry point or easy barrier entry. It's not you know, $100,000, $300,000 to come in minimum. So a lot of our investors like that. Uh, my partner and I invest on every project. So we have skin in the game. And we put different tiers in our deals to make sure that the investors were always covered because these are risky projects. You know, I mean, the the risk for us and our investors, we could lose all our money on a deal. Never has happened to us, knock on wood, but there's always the risk that could happen. So we make sure we put things in place to protect the investors from a monetary standpoint, from a return standpoint, to getting their money back standpoint on every deal. So it's uh, it's very important to do that, and they appreciate that. And of course, I have a track record, right? I have sixteen complete, seventeen completed projects. I'm executing nine right now. Uh, we have good sponsors, uh, and to be honest with you, it's all about transparency. We're willing to show them everything. It's you got to share the good news and the bad. And if it's bad news, you have the bad news. And I learned this in the military. If you have bad news or you bring something to the boss, you better have three or four ways to explain how to get around it or, or solutions for it. You don't just throw a problem at the boss and run. That's that's kind of how you operate. 
Thank you for sharing. And that makes a lot of sense, you know, understanding the total life cycle and different exit strategies first before getting into a project, I think is really valuable and important for not only for yourselves to operate the the business, but at the same time to, you know, give that level of comfort to the investors as well. Absolutely. And our investors have a diverse appetite for different types of projects. You know, some may like senior living, some may like student housing, some may like residential renovation for short term, some are equity multiple driven, it's just dependent and asset class driven, you know, it just depends. Uh, and that's something we look at, I'm not going to work with a, a, a multifamily sponsor that wants to try student housing, you know, stay in your lane, right? That's one of the things we're looking at. But that's, that's what we do. We, we're not a one asset investment company, we want to have every asset available to us. We've even looked at a car wash opportunity, which is awesome, because these guys were knocking it out of the park. So we're more of a people's type investor and a company investment company than going, nope, we're only going to do multifamily. And Ooh, wait a minute, recession hit, multifamily's gone. We have to turn the, we have to fold the business because we can't do anything now. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So for the investor who may be a little bit hesitant and, you know, with all the with all the talk about real estate and the everything that's changing in it right now in the market, you know, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you provide to them to educate them on how the market yeah. is looking like? That's a great uh, question. And I think it was one you asked before and I apologize because I didn't hit it, but you're right. You know, you got to be able to educate, inform, communicate to your investors or the public, right? To get them kind of understanding of what you do. You know, I'm not a registered investment advisor. I'm not a broker. I don't give advice. It's against the law. I just don't do that. But I do get investors that, you know, rely on my judgment, rely on my experience to, to make a sound decision. And that's what I do. If somebody ever asks me, you know, why uh, should I invest on this project over that, John? What do you recommend? Well, once I hear that, I'm like, well, I'm going to give you some factors on why I would go with this project and some factors and variables of why I would go with that project, right? So some folks are time-driven, you know, so one's 24 months and one's 48 months, then you probably want the 24 month, right? Uh, Some are, hey, I'd like to be closer to home, your point you brought up before. So those are all the things that I go through when I have a project. And then, yeah, I mean, I walked them through the risks. I walked them through what the potential challenges could be. I provide to them, look, you know, if if we don't sell the property for at least 75% of our targeted sale, we're going to break even. But at least they know that, you know. So my job is not to say, well, I'll recommend or advise that you do this. It's more of, hey, here's the facts. Here's what we know. Here's what could happen. Here's the risk. Here's how we're mitigating the risk. And I'm available to answer any questions given what I can share with you. That's it, really. And so for the investor, you know, what are some of the, I guess, the common mistakes that you've seen for an investor when they're looking to invest in an opportunity? 
You know, the biggest thing I see is that a lot of times people just don't read the paperwork and that's hard because, you know, there's a lot of paperwork. I mean, we file uh, a form D 506 B or C with the securities and exchange commission on every project. And I don't know if you've ever seen a private placement memorandum. There are large documents, 50 to 100 pages, and that's the parent document. Then you got all the exhibits, you got the appendices. So it's a lot of information. And what we try to do is we try to summarize that in a lot of the company driven documents for each of our projects. But at the end of the day, it's really the investor's responsibility to go through everything. I've disclosed everything. I've come out and provided everything. And you know, you get sometimes investors were like, oh, well, I didn't know that my money was going to be in the project longer than the potential timeline. Well, I'm like, yeah, well, there's risk. You know, we could have a delay. We could have a global pandemic. <laughs> we could have bad weather. It's just a fact of life. You know, I do my darndest that if we do have delays on a project or extensions to work with the sponsor to keep their returns intact and or try to continue to keep that projected return on scale. But there's just things that that happen. So one of the things we try to educate investors on the front end is, look, if this is your kid's college money or your mortgage money, obviously don't invest that. It's got to be money you feel comfortable with that you could put into something like this for the minimum, the timeline we recommend with the potential of it maybe going a little longer, just out of our control. So that's the big one is just, you know, educating and ensuring that investors know that uh, there's there's always risk. And the PPM, 70% of the PPM is the risk. So reading the documentation, understanding, not making assumptions, and just asking the questions, asking the questions. That's, I think it's the biggest thing I see. You know, anybody can invest. Anybody that's an accredited investor can invest. It's just that you got to be able to feel comfortable asking questions. You got to be comfortable reading the information. And we get a lot of newer investors that have never invested in real estate before. And we get ones that are just fantastic. Not, not that the other ones are not fantastic, but we just get others that just grind us. And it's awesome because it's like, wow, these guys are digging in. And, and sometimes, you know, we're even like, I, I don't know, that's a great question. I'm going to ask the sponsor, we're going to get that answer for you. And you know what, I'm going to put that in my PPM, because that's a pretty important issue you're raising. So yeah, it just depends. But that's probably the biggest pitfall I've seen with with investors just going through the information. Yeah, I think that you brought up a really important point about, you know, not being afraid to ask questions to the sponsor. No. If there's something that you're concerned about or if something stands out, you know, just ask the question. And like you said, it may not be something that they had seen and they can take a look at it and prevent something from happening or educating you about it and making you feel more comfortable. And then at least um, implementing it for something in the future. Um, but just being comfortable with asking those questions and then, you know, making sure that the sponsor is also receptive to those questions as well. And I think any good mm -hmm. sponsor would be available to answer those questions. Yeah. And I mean, the value we bring to those sponsors is, you know, we're helping them raise anywhere from a half a million to $5 million. And they're not dealing with the twenty-five dollars to $50,000 investors. So, you know, my job is to communicate between the sponsor and the investors at the individual level. The way we structure our deals are, you know, each deal is a separate limited liability corporation. My partner, David and I are the managing members, the individual investors of the 176 that decide to invest become limited partners inside of that business. And then that business dovetails inside of the, the general partners managing entity. So we become either a limited partner or co-general partner with the sponsor typically. And uh, we negotiate uh, our waterfall or profits at the company level with the sponsor. And then everything gets trickled back down into the company. 
And my partner, David, and I set up a waterfall that pays out our investors that are in the actual uh, specific opportunity. But I don't take, you know, it's not a fund. We're not moving around monies as we choose. It's, hey, here's Project A. If you want to invest in Project A, here's all the info. If you want to come in on Project B, Project C, but they're all separate. What do you do in order to stay top of mind of your investors' mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I am very much uh, in favor of keeping f- people informed uh, on the projects when they come in. When an investor comes in on a project, we uh, typically go out with a quarterly uh, update. Uh, we usually get a, a project report from our sponsor, and then we take that report, we go through it, we kind of disseminate the information, we get some clarification on anything we need just to make sure that everything makes sense from what we share, what they share with us. And then I take that report and I put that out in my, uh, in my distribution to my investors for that specific project. And then I always, you know, I'm on the internet every day looking at different periodicals and every once in a while I'll see one of our projects on there. That's how wonderful these projects are. And, and so, you know, I'm collecting that information so that when we have a um, quarterly update, I'm including a lot of that information, you know, Hey, Atlanta's now back to 94% pre COVID and uh, jobs. And, you know, I think that's important. They need to know that. I also go out to the projects myself in person. Uh, if it's a local area project, my partner, David, does the same. We're taking pictures. We're, uh, we're bringing investors out to see the projects. They love that. I have a project right now in DC. It's finished. Uh, I take investors out there. I put a hard hat on them and a vest and we walk the project and they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So it's fun to do that because you get to see the, you know, the excitement of them realizing that they're an owner in that. And so I love doing that. So that's the different ways we communicate. We usually go out with a a semi-annual newsletter to just inform our larger group of contacts, including our investors. We have about a thousand people on our network that we go out to just to make sure they know we're relevant. And uh, we also let them know we got a project that just finished, or we got an investment that just finished, or, hey, we just hired on a new guy, or, hey, we just brought Juniper Square on. So but we, uh, we just make sure that we do our best to keep folks informed and then, you know, you use social media, YouTube, you have LinkedIn. These are all the different ways we continue to keep people informed of us and what we're doing. And so, John, what's next for you and your company? That's a great question. I mean, like I said, you know, we just had a great, a great, we're at a great point in our company right now. We are really getting ready to go from what I call the walk, the crawl, walk, run. We're kind of walking at a pretty gingerly quick pace to get ready to start running here. You know, bringing on a new employee, bringing on an investment portal. It's a lot of stuff. You know, it's a lot of resources we're bringing on because we believe in what we're doing. And we feel like what we have is really special and unique. We provide a great service. It's uh, we don't have a lot of competitors out there. And yeah, I, I mean, I think that we're going to continue to uh, grow our portfolio. Uh, we're going to continue to look at a diverse range of projects that, that make sense one of the things I'd like to do is kind of balance out the portfolio a bit just because COVID really extended things out anywhere from six to 12 months. So I definitely want to get a couple of projects through the full cycle, but, but I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we're managing, like I said, 22 to $25 million and we're growing business. And I just want to keep that going at a nice consistent base uh, at a pace and not get too overwhelmed. And so, John, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Oh, I tell you, it's allowed me the opportunity to really uh, enjoy my family. 
most importantly, my faith. I've got an opportunity to be able to do things now uh, that I want to do. Uh, you know, I'm my own boss. I, I'm the janitor and I'm the president, right? <laughs> so I have fun with what I'm doing. I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, there's challenges. We're busy. There's times I'm up at midnight on a Saturday night working, but then I can say, yeah, I'm just going to take tomorrow off or, you know, a little bit less of a pace. So I love the freedom to be able to do what I need to do at my own pace. And uh, I love working with people. I mean, I get the chance to meet wonderful people like yourself. I love to talk to people and learn from them and just absorb from them. And just, uh, you know, it's like the Lord's got me in a position in my life that I'm just so comfortable and happy with that I get to share and I get to to be around some wonderful people. And it grows me personally and professionally as well. So that's, I I think all of that wrapped into a bottle is what I, I love about what I do. And it's great because I can totally tell the passion that you have for being in real estate and how it's impacted you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you could tell. Yeah. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. (laughs) I think, you know, if I had to go back again, I mean, maybe kind of take on a little bit more from an investment standpoint where I could have taken on maybe some more hold properties like multifamily, just buy and hold stuff where I had a little bit more of a portfolio, a port, an asset portfolio or portfolio assets where I was just getting some more cash flow. And, you know, that might be the biggest thing. But other than that, I mean, I don't know. I don't really think that there's anything different I'd want to change. I'm just having too much fun. And, and you know, I, I think that uh, given what we're doing is exciting stuff and, I think if we went back and and did it all over again, we'd we'd do it the way we're doing it now. We wouldn't change anything. So it's gotten you to where you are today. Oh my goodness, my faith. Absolutely my faith. I mean, I wake up every morning at 5 30 and I spend my first hour with the Lord and I just love to be with him. I love to just be in prayer and just start the day off because I think that just sets the pace for my day. It just gives me the strength to, and the courage to just take on as much having him on my side. So yeah, that's been my number one kind of, you know, definitely the best thing that's in my life. Of course, with my family as well. I mean, I have a wife and four kids, so they keep me pretty busy. But at the end of the day, I think just having that higher power to be with you and get you through the toughest of toughs, especially now with COVID. I mean, it's been rough. It's been really rough for folks, but uh, it's been one of the best years of my life. I don't mean to sound cynical, but it has. And I just feel that uh, being closer to that higher power means so much. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you touched on a little bit too, you know, especially with whatever, everything that's happened with the, within the last year, you know, you can have life happen to you mm-hmm. or you can life, have life happen for you. And it seems like, you know, you're taking advantage and seeing the opportunities there and just continuing to develop yourself instead of dwelling on the negative aspects of things, but instead you finding the to. positive side. Yeah. You got to be optimistic. You have to look at things as a blessing. You know, every day you wake up and you you have another day, you have your kids, you have your family, you have your health, you have, you know, as much as you can. And if you don't, then you just pray on it and, and ask the Lord to help you get through it. And uh, And if you have that mindset, like you said, you can do anything. And what is one thing that successful people part in the real estate investing business? <laughs> um, You know, look, when you first start out, I, I think it's important for you to grow your knowledge, to understand what you want to do. What do you want to do? You can't just say, I want to be in real estate. I think you got to find something that you are attracted to, that you're good at. Uh, you, you identify a problem and how you can bring the solution to the table. You know, Find your why, what's your why, the Simon Sinek model. 
But I think, you know, initially just grow your knowledge, get smart about what you want to do, and then put yourself around as many people as you can and learn from them and be honest with them and be genuine with them. I go to, I tell everybody every time, my favorite book and the best book I've ever read was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Dale Carnegie is a genius, uh, you know, and he just tells you like it is where, you know, you just got to be yourself. You just got to be someone that shows that you genuinely care. You want to help others and that you have uh, the energy to want to be someone that influences the, uh, the results and success of others. And it's that pay forward mentality. You know, you, you're, it's going to come back to you because people are going to realize the type of person you are, but yeah, I mean, you just got to, you got to be willing to put yourself out there. You got to be comfortable. Uh, you want to be able to learn and then find that area in real estate or find that area in business that you like the most and just be the best at it. Be the best at it. And so are there any tools or techniques that you can share that you use to improve the efficiency of your life or your business? Yeah, learn lessons. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, obviously you don't want to business ending failure, but don't be afraid to fail. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki talks about it all the time. I mean, that's how we learn. We fall off the bike, we scrape our knee, we get up and we don't fall off the bike again. We learn from that, right? So don't be afraid to to have failure. Don't be afraid to uh, learn a lesson. Now, I was on the phone with my partner last night and, and we were going over something and I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So this is what I've learned from this one, two, three. And now I'm like, okay, now I know that the next time this happens, I just got to be careful. So you learn from your lessons, you pick yourself up and you get better from them. So I, I think don't be afraid to fail and learn lessons and talk to those people that have got that experience. They may even give you a couple of pointers so you don't make the same mistakes. Thank you so much for sharing, John. Yeah, my pleasure. This was and great. I appreciate it. Thank you. And if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? So our website's great. It's very transparent. It's got great information. We put everything on there. So it's just uh, our company name, which is jidinvestments.com. And if you go there, you can pull up our information. We have some great documentation on there. We have uh, some services we provide, the investment and funding services. I'm also on LinkedIn. If you just look me up, John Rubino. Uh, we also have a JID Investments page on LinkedIn. So feel free to come on out and follow us and send me a friend or connection request. I'm on YouTube as well. GID Investments LLC is on YouTube. We'll probably have the show on there. So that'd be great. And yeah, you know, listen, feel free to share my contact information with your listeners. I'm happy to help. Whatever I could do to help your listeners as they're thinking about what they want to do or they have interest in syndication or they want to learn more about investing or they're transitioning from, you know, the corporate world or the military into entrepreneurship. I'm, I'm always happy to help. I love talking to people. Oh, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate everything that you shared today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.